Welcome to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast, where we discuss all things human design and how it can support you and your spiritual journey. This is not a one-size-fits-all podcast. We are here to inspire awareness about how we are all different and help you answer the questions of who am I? What am I here to do? How am I here to do it? You can thrive and live the life of your dreams just by having awareness of your true self. So dive deep with us, get inspired, and start living your life on purpose. Hello, and welcome back to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast with your host, Dana and Shana. We are genuinely so excited about this episode today. We have a really special guest, Rosie Acosta. She is the founder of Radically Loved, a yoga, health, and wellness teacher. Her podcast is amazing. She's an author, and her mission is to really help others use yoga and mindfulness as tools for overcoming adversity and experiencing the joy of living radically loved. And we have had the pleasure of joining Rosie on her show before to talk about human design. And we just love her message so much, this message of being radically loved and showing up in the world that way. You know, we really believe that in these times that feel difficult and trying and challenging, it's so important to tune into what's real, you know, the love that we have for the world and to not succumb to apathy or giving up or feeling like we're not really able to help because the problems are too big. So we found this conversation extremely inspiring and we love just having, being able to talk with Rosie. She's so cool. We think that you guys are going to love it too. So without further ado, let's welcome on our special guest for the day, Rosie Acosta. Welcome. So thank you so much for being here. I just feel so blessed to get to connect with you again because we got to connect on your podcast. So we are so grateful to have you here. How are you doing today? Yes, I'm doing amazing. I'm so excited to be with you both too. I learned so much about human design. <laughs> I mean, do you the whole conversation, I'm just... I'm so excited to be able to share it with everybody and I'm excited to, you know, get to know you both more and to be able to, you know, share my story and, and yeah, like keep the radical love train going, you know, I mean, we need it right now, don't we? We sure do. Honestly, that is what we need more than anything. So thank you for being here and sharing your message with us all today. And I was wondering, you know, for our audience that hasn't listened to your podcast yet, we'll definitely clue them in because I think they're going to love your podcast. But can you just kind of introduce yourself and share with us all a little bit about what it is that you do and share and teach? Look, I I love what I do. I've been doing it for close to two decades now. I'm completely humbled by, by the work that I do when I see it impact people. I think one of my biggest superpowers has always been that I ask a lot of questions. Other people might call it nosy, but I'm just a very (laughs) naturally curious human being. And I think that curiosity really drove me to creating the life that I have now. And so to give you and, and your audience a little bit of background, I grew up in East Los Angeles in the early 90s. It was a very chaotic time during the LA riots in the history of Los Angeles, it was known as the decade of death. That was just a surge of, yeah, gang violence and chaos during that time. And so I grew up in a neighborhood that was very highly populated by immigrant families. And a lot of the parents worked two jobs So it left a lot of unsupervised adolescents and children. I always say that my childhood was like Lord of the Flies. It felt very much like that. There was just a lot of children running around all the time. Most of the caretakers were grandmothers, you know, like my little abuelita. She was, she took care of us. She took us to school. She picked us up. Both my parents, they, we barely saw them because they worked so much. And so it was very idyllic as a little child because it was so much... We just had fun all the time. There was no rules. And we just played and played and played. And there was a moment in time where 
as these adolescents got a little older, you become a product of your environment naturally. And so we started to see a rise in violence, you know, crime and a lot of sirens, a lot of police visits, and it just kind of went downhill from there. Um, So experiencing drive-by shootings and seeing people get shot or seeing a stabbing was not really out of the ordinary. We could go to the grocery store and there would be, you know, I remember one time being like six or seven and going to the grocery store and it got held up and it was just kind of like this thing happened, the police were called and then everybody just kind of went about their business. Very bizarre, right? Like there's just this experience of normalcy to this chaos. So we all know that it's not normal. So by the time I was a teenager, I was becoming a product of my environment. You just, you can't help but not, it. it's always fascinating to me when I go do these speaking engagements or I talk to people uh, that grew up similarly or I hear people maybe that haven't experienced this type of upbringing that say, oh, you know, people could just make other choices. And it's not always that simple. You know, people can't just decide to spurn themselves from their tribe. It's really difficult. Uh, In fact, when I was a teenager, I was also getting in trouble with the law. I was ditching school. I was doing drugs, like the whole, you know, drinking underage, the whole experience. And I got to a place in my life at the age of 15 when I got arrested for the third time, I think it was. And I really had to have this, you know, like come to Jesus moment where I was either going to get on the right path or I was going to end up just like everybody else. I was going to be a a product of my environment. I was going to end up being in the system. In fact, it's a story. I I detail that story in the book. It did involve me trying to steal a police vehicle, but you know, that is the beginning of the book. So if you want to read about it, go for it. I've talked about it on my podcast, on interviews before, but that was the moment where I was getting arrested and the booking officer looked at me and said, with this like sly smile on his face and in this very sort of almost like making fun tone, like, oh, like, welcome to life in the system. Like, so indifferent, so unaffected. And I just remember feeling like I'm not about to allow that to happen because I'm a rebel. You know, I wanted to go against, I wanted to, I'm rage against the machine, you know, like I want to go against the system. So that was my initial incentive to not end up in jail. But I I do have to say it was you know, when people say, oh, you made this choice and your life changed completely and you can't really pinpoint when that was. And I think for me, I can definitely pinpoint that moment because I'll never forget that feeling. It was a feeling of humiliation, but also a feeling of like, I'm going to show you you know, this sort of internal that I never had because I never cared. You know, I was, I didn't grow up caring about what other people thought of me. I just was this, you know, person that wanted to be liked by everybody. So that, that's all it took for me to start to make the diff- the changes that I needed. And it wasn't that easy because me changing me- meant that I had to extract myself from my friends, extract myself from my family members, extract myself from people that were going to ultimately get me in trouble, that were going to dangle the carrot in front of me. And and all it would take is me saying yes to go to this house party and get caught when I'm on probation. And, you know, it's like those real life 
moments that nobody was going to make them for me. I needed to make them myself. I started to create this routine where I was in high school, which is one of the most difficult times already because you have no idea who you are and you have no idea like, yeah, what you want in your life. And I had to create a sort of uh, these boundaries around protecting myself because I knew that connecting with my friends would mean that I would go to jail essentially. So I would get myself in trouble at school so that I would get detention so that I wouldn't have to go interact with everybody at recess. And, you know, during these breaks, I'd have to figure out ways to busy myself or get detention or, you know, so as a teenager, it is such a difficult thing to go through to make those choices. So I'm going to go back to what I was saying earlier when I am traveling and I'm talking to people and they say, oh, you just have to make this choice. And it's like, yes and no. I mean, it is such a nuanced uh, experience that there's so many layers to who you are as a person being developed at this very pivotal time. So that was that experience. And it was during this time where I found yoga and meditation as a way to manage the anxiety that I was experiencing. Because during this time, I was also experiencing these really debilitating panic attacks and agoraphobia. And so agoraphobia is this fear of leaving your space. Like you become so completely paralyzed of not wanting to leave and having the fear of just going outside. And nobody could figure out why. Nobody thought that, oh, maybe do you think it's because this child experienced a lot of violence and she saw somebody get shot and somebody get stabbed. And, you know, we watch horror movies every night as like our family movie night. Oh my Um, gosh. (laughs) None of that has anything to do with this child having severe crippling panic attacks. So uh, my mom's friend was the one who actually suggested that I try meditation. And it was through the Self-Realization Fellowship that I was introduced to yoga as a philosophy and as a way of life. And that was all it took for me to finally connect to something bigger than myself because I'd never experienced that. I'm a recovering Catholic. So I was kicked out of catechism class at a young age because I asked too many questions. So I was a free agent in the spiritual zone. And so when yoga and meditation came in, I was really into it. And it was so new agey. I was into everything new age, like astrology, horoscopes, in um, Hispanic culture, Mexican television, there's this famous astrologer. You can watch a Netflix documentary on him. His name's Walter Mercado. He is like this fabulous, done up, big pompadour hair. I mean, he is just, he's got makeup, like he's got the regalia, everything. He is just completely fabulous. And every night, this part of the news, by the way. (laughs) So part of the nightly news that it's like, okay, it's time for your horoscope. Like it's time to, you know, uh, hear Walter's predictions and, So I was always really into that. I just, I loved learning about anything esoteric um, because I, right? Because it felt like it gave me an understanding because what is the understanding that we're all looking for? We're trying to understand who we are, Mm -hmm. right? So that was my experience as a young adolescent child. Many years later, I I would continue to deepen my practice. I started to learn more about Buddhism. I got really into Eastern modalities, uh, Ayurveda, yoga, uh, mindfulness techniques. Uh, I got really into learning about neuroscience, and I kind of went that route until I finally decided that I wanted to teach yoga. And I did my yoga teacher training. The first one I did was right after I graduated, I think 
No, I was, I think I was about like 19, 20. Wow. So young. And um, yeah. yeah, it wasn't like a full on 200 hour, like how we have now. This was in Pasadena. And this is like a totally separate story, but there were these flyers about, they were sannyasins. They were Osho followers mm -hmm. and they did a weekend teacher training. So it was like, very strange. It was on on a, in a building. It was on the second floor, and it was just this husband and wife. And I went to do my teacher training, and it was just basically I was the only student, which was really weird. You know, <laughs> it was so not strange. Like there was nothing yeah. weird that happened, or that they were very nice, but they they were very into Osho and his teachings, and that was sort of the philosophy that they were teaching. And so after, literally I counted the hours. I'm like, so basically after four and a half hours, I was certified wow. to become a teacher, which a couple of years after that, I did a full on 200 hour teacher training. And, and then I just, I've done over a thousand hours plus training since then. But it was interesting that during that time, right? Like I just needed that you know, that incentive. And, and I had the desire, the hunger for that knowledge. And my incentive behind learning about all of the modalities and all the neuroscience was because I had seen the impact that these practices and these teachings had had on my life. And I wanted to learn how to bring these same practices to people like the people I grew up with, you know, people that didn't believe that they could do something or that they had access to or that this type of healing was for them. So that's the long and short of how we ended up here, gals. Wow. So powerful hearing your story and hearing just, you know, I was having this conversation the other day, this weekend about how your environment shapes so much of your beliefs and then your beliefs shape your reality. And we have so many beliefs without even realizing that we have beliefs. You know, just even the belief of, you know, you're in an environment where your parent has a certain genetic disorder, like they have heart issues. And so then you mm -hmm. have the belief, well, I'm going to have heart issues when I get older. And then you do. And how your beliefs really do shape your reality. And so to your point of saying, you know, yes, it you can make decisions and you can go inward and kind of navigate your way out of whatever environment that you're in. But that's not the easiest thing to do, especially if you don't have access to information about going inward. And especially growing up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, when there wasn't social media and all of these different resources at your fingertips, your environment does place a huge amount um, on the decisions that you're making. So absolutely. It's crazy. I had a similar experience where my environment was not great growing up as a child and I didn't have those that access to those resources. And I was deeply in the Christian community and kicked out of that community as well. So just as you're sharing, <laughs> you know, there's so many Is it but but isn't that so shitty though? Like cause you think, I mean, these are supposed to be safe places, safe communities, you know, like where this is where you learn your foundational spiritual practices and especially something like Christianity or Catholicism where the ethos is about loving everyone and being able to accept people and be kind and be uh, of service and be a good-hearted human being. It, that's where I get so tripped up because I'm like, isn't part of being a Christian following the teachings of Christ, which says that you're supposed to love yeah. everyone? Like, I think that that is where I would get into trouble, and I, I feel like even even today, you know, I I do work with a couple of different religious groups. And I find it so fascinating that we can still have these arguments around who 
who love is for and who love is not for. And to me, it's just, I don't know. I think it's, it's a flawed system. You know, I, I don't know that any of these spiritual practices were designed for us to create more division. I think that they were designed for us to connect in a deeper way. And they were just designed as goalposts to show us where we're going, not necessarily as follow it word by word, although some people might say the opposite and that's okay. But I just really feel like we are individuals for a reason. We have a fingerprint that we don't share with anybody else in this universe, on this planet. Like There's a reason for that. Why would this one size fit all. It doesn't and it can't, right? So so I don't know. I'm I'm always trying to have these conversations with anyone who'll have a conversation yeah. with me. <laughs> I'm like, right, don't you think? Well and I I think it's so interesting, you know, especially with religion, how a lot of it is practices like do this, say that, and then you'll get this. And even the the sentiment of, you know, love your neighbor as you would love yourself, it's so lacking there because a lot of people don't love themselves and they don't oh, realize right. that they don't love themselves because a lot of this, the religious practices aren't teaching you how to go inward and spiritually feel your own essence because they're saying this outside person, this priest, you have to confess to him because he's the only one that can talk to God, right. not right. go inward and talk to God, talk to yourself, talk to your spirit and talk to your pain and mm-hmm. love yourself um, yes. because you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Essentially, you can't love your neighbor like you love yourself if you don't love yourself, then you're not spreading love. So it's it's so fascinating. And I think it really speaks well to, I'm sure, everything that we're going to learn from you today with mm-hmm. <laughs> radical love. But yeah, I throughout all of my years in Christianity, I just kept seeing that over and over again. Like, why can't I bring my best friend who's gay into church, you know? And, and why can't I love them? So it's just so fascinating. I think that there's just such a lack of love internally. Yeah, no, I think that everything that you're saying, I completely agree. And I I think I have a hard time with that as well. You know, I have a friend who has deep Christian rooted upbringing. Father is still a pastor and he's out, but there is still that line where they still don't talk about it. It's like he's accepted in the family, but it it is very much this, like, nope, everybody just ignore the elephant in the room, you know, and there's still his own internal fear that we talk about a lot because he has this ingrained belief that he's going to go to hell, you know? Yeah that he, you know what I mean? Like he has this like fear, this sort of impending doom that he needs to grapple with. And, and it's hard because you can't just be like, there's no hell, dude. Like we live in it. Like it's here, (laughs) earth. Like you're already here. We leave here. We're going to go somewhere like better. I promise. You know, like we came from somewhere incredible to here and we're going to go back to that somewhere incredible after, you know, like, but it's hard, you know, if somebody really has this deep-rooted belief. And and I I think that where we get, right, it's the issue that issues that we're having now, like you should be free to believe what you want to believe. We should all be free to believe what we want to believe. I shouldn't have to convince you to believe what I believe in order for you to live a good life. But unfortunately, marketing in religion is how it's taught, right? It's like the proliferation of acquiring a bigger and larger influence is let me convert you so that you can then be a little minion in my army, so to speak. And I really feel like everybody... I always like to believe that people have the best intentions. I mean, part of my belief system with radical love and, and how I feel about it is... I can't love everybody the same 
if I don't love everybody the same, right? It's like, I can't be a proponent of radical love if I'm not radically loving everybody. Now, I'm not saying I do. That is my mission. I have to work extra hard sometimes to really love certain people. Yeah. But but my but the intention is there, right? The desire is there. It's like where I really love the the Buddhist ethos and teachings of kindness and compassion and practices like loving kindness where you send love and kindness to people who are suffering or people who you have maybe not the best relationship for. I mean, what better way to transmute the intensity of hate or disdain than to send somebody loving kindness? I don't have to like you to love you, right? Yes. I can I can love you. I can I can have a desire for your suffering to end and still not like you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and right and still have a boundary where it's like I can love you at a distance. You don't need to be a part of my circle. You don't need to be a part of my everyday life. That doesn't mean I don't feel a desire for you to be well. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, That's huge. Like I have had that whole revelation in my life too, of really having this intention for unconditional love, starting with that, but then realizing, okay, does that mean that I'm going to let people be violent around me? Does that mean that I'm going to allow people to speak words that are violent to me? I will not tolerate that and accept that. So how do I have this unconditional love and boundaries around what is healthy and what I will allow or won't allow in my world and in my field. And those boundaries, when you can have those there and still beyond that is this higher acceptance and unconditional love and even oneness of knowing, you know, at some point I am that person or I'm connected to that person through the universe. So I cannot like or not allow certain behaviors and I can still have that unconditional love for them. Like that's the journey. And it's, It's so interesting to hear you two talk about your backgrounds with religion because I'm from a family where I was not religious at all. And so I didn't even know, like, if someone asked if I would say grace the table, I was like, wait, what do we do? Like, I, you know, I knew nothing about it. So I love asking Shana questions actually, like, because I just don't know anything about the history of religions or the Bible. So I like love actually asking her and learning about it. But it's interesting because I was always really clear from as a child, like, okay, Jesus's message is love, right? And these religions, the baseline is supposed to be love. So when I heard that there were these intentional things you would say, you know, like telling your child, threatening them that they're going to go to hell if they lie and programming this fear, the opposite of love is fear. So to program your children with this daunting, dooming fear I was like, wait, what? Like, you know, from an outside perspective, it's like, how could this be? How could people actually be promoting intentional fear, intentional punishment, the opposite thing as as love? So having this conversation about love, like, you know, just the idea of radically loved. I say this a lot, that love is such a huge, incredible word that we need to have a million conversations to even just understand it because it's so powerful and so big. It is God. It is life. It is us. So talking about love and coming back to this and that always being our attention, it almost sounds like a cliche, right? Because the word is so, so big. But when we can really tap into that frequency, like it truly is the way that we move forward. And I love that uh, the Self-Realization Fellowship was a big part of your spiritual journey because I've been really connecting with reading a lot of Yogananda's books, like coming back to it, rereading it. And I'm so blown away by these books that are written in the 40s. A lot of things in the 40s were messed up. You know, when you're talking about marriage and women and family and race and the whole thing. Like back then, our societal conditioning in America was fucked up in a lot of ways, and it still is. But to read these books that have spiritual truth and spiritual love, and they still are relevant they still hit like this infinite love source in your heart. Like there's no other book you could read that ages so well. It's literally timeless because truth and love, like those things are are our timeless, our thing that we're coming back home to. So yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. I think it's 
there are certain books that, I mean, are time tested. I mean, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali is another one that's like, how many centuries yeah. <laughs> old? I mean, th- these are teachings that have been around for thousands of years. They've just been around for forever. I think that ultimately the human desires are always going to be the same, right? It's almost like water is never going to go out of style. Like we're always going to need to drink water. And I feel that spiritual wellness and, and spiritual desire, I feel like has always been connected to love. It's always been connected to a, a higher sense of self and I feel like those teachings through and through are are forever going to be universal because we understand that you can have two people not speaking the same language. I when I was little there was our neighbors across the way like across we lived in this like cul-de-sac apartment single level like housing project and like catty corner to us was this Chinese family who had the grandmother was around the same age as mine, spoke Chinese, didn't speak any English. And my grandma and her in the morning, they would just like go and and just sit next to each other. And, and she would make tea or my grandma would make tea. like, And they would just sit there and all they would do is they would point at like birds or they would point at the trees or they would point at like a cat walking by, you know? And... And I knew, of course, intellectually that there was no words being spoken. I mean, they couldn't, there's no, there's just no way. You know, my grandma didn't speak a lick of English. You know, she only spoke Spanish. And, but they would sit there in the morning and just, you know, be be with each other. And to me, I'm like, oh, that this, and you understood what was happening. Like, the, it wasn't a strange occurrence. It was just two people enjoying life and we didn't need to speak the same language. And there was some universal thread that connected them, which was what didn't need language, nature, Uh, you know, beauty, the birds, you know, just anything that was surrounding us. And if you think about it for us, what are those universal languages? They are, when we are in a place of expansion, when we go to a beautiful landscape or we're on the shore of a beautiful ocean or we're out in the wilderness or we're in the desert or we're having an experience or when we're with somebody that we truly love or we're just sitting watching our favorite show and eating a snack and you're just like, oh, this is just living, you know, those moments are universal. That experience of joy and fullness is a part of what you were saying. It's, it's love. It's our ability to really connect with our most human desires and needs and, and fulfillment, right? So we can get into the new, the nuisance of love and what it means and what is self-love and what is loving and what is being loved. And I feel like it is to each individual to to gauge that, you know, each individual is going to have a different experience. You know, now you, you said the opposite of love is fear and I, I agree with that, but I also feel that the biggest opposition to love is more insidious. I think that the biggest opposition to love is apathy, right? So it is just not caring and not having a feeling about anything, complete disengagement and desensitization. Yes. Which is, right, which is what we're in our culture we suffer from that a lot. We suffer from that when we see the third and fourth shooting. We suffer from that when we see the fifth 
or sixth or seventh war. We think about that when we see, okay, now this right is gone. Now that's next. Now that's next. This sort of apathy that happens, this desensitization where it's like, I can't make a difference, right? There's not my existence, my my presence cannot possibly make a difference in this behemoth of the world. And it's not true. It's not the truth, right? The truth is that we each as individuals, as that individual thumbprint that we have, that's not like anybody, anybody else's, we have the ability to make that difference. I mean, look at all the people in history, the one person that has made all of those differences. I think that we just don't give ourselves enough autonomy. We don't give ourselves enough agency. We don't give ourselves enough permission to mm-hmm. right, explore what that is for ourselves because we're constantly trying to fit in, right? We're trying to people please. We're trying to not make waves. I write about that in the book throughout the entire book, you know, what was said to me, especially coming from two immigrant parents, like do your job. Don't make any waves. Don't complain. Be grateful. Yeah. Period. Like keep your head down. Just, you should be grateful to be here. You live in the greatest country on earth, like get into it, you know? And then I'm like, well, but, well, but (laughs) I'm like, wait, but but technically that's not, but technically, you know, and, and, and I think that it, for all of us, even, even both of you here, I mean, we're here for a reason, right? You both had this desire. We know your story. You you wanted to have these conversations. You wanted to explore the human condition. And so you went for it. Like that is an internal drive that we all have. And we all have the tools to be able to get to that place. And I I just I feel like the the biggest awareness if I can give one message to people is to not be apathetic, like care, like really allow yourself to know that as, as small, I mean, it's recycling as like one recycle, one recycle, just recycle. You, you recycle, you think, oh, it's just me, one person, but it's not just one person. It's like, I, I had this terrible habit of throwing, banana peels on dirt. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's organic. Like it will dissolve, you know? And I remember one of my teacher, I think it was like my junior, junior <laughs> year. Um, you know, and I was like, it's organic, my banana, I'm going to eat it. And I'm going to throw it in the, in the ground. And I remember her saying, she saw me do it. And she's like, you better pick that up. And I'm like, what? It's made out of like, organic stuff. It's going to like dissolve its compost. And she said, okay. She said, imagine if every single person in the world threw their banana peel on the floor, would that make a mess? And I was like, Ugh, she's right. It doesn't so- matter that it's organic. <laughs> right? It's so funny. Dane and I are dying laughing because Dana's husband, Jared works, he's a rock climber and he works in Joshua Tree. And one day this girl threw a banana peel out of the car onto the dirt and he picked it up and he was like, what, what are you doing? And she was like, it's organic. It'll dissolve. And he said, do you see any banana trees around here, bitch? And threw it back in the car. And we just were dying laughing because it's so true. It's, it's like my husband's personal cross to bear is like, like, no, you need to care more than that. You need yeah. to care more yeah. than that. But <laughs> it's so interesting, you know, everything that you're sharing, it's a, just making me feel more in love with life, but also in love with human design because it's really, that's the core basis of human design is, is getting, taking your agency back and being your own authority and knowing how you're unique and how you're here to use your, you know, your footprint, your fingerprint, your uniqueness and 
come out of that conditioning. And I mean, especially for you being a 6'2 generator and having the the channels that you do. I know we talked about it a bit on your podcast, but you know, the main conditioning that you have to navigate through is put your head down and work and be grateful. And so much of your life purpose is figuring out okay, well, but who am I? And how does that bring me closer towards my own direction and my own version of love and being kind of that black sheep of your community and of your family and saying like, you guys are all going this way, but I'm just not. It's not my life. It's not who I am. And that moment of that cop having that apathy and that indifference towards you and feeling this is not my life and choosing to go a different direction. And of course, you know, that's not easy to do, but all of that conditioning, I mean, it's just in hindsight, such a beautiful uh, reflection within your human design and, you know, six twos remember what it was like to be a kid. They remember what it was like. Oh man, like it was yesterday. Exactly. And it's a big part of the wisdom that they're here to share. And I just love getting to hear it, but it, it is crazy how you think that the things that you do don't matter. I mean, that's so ingrained into us to think. And it's all of those small things. And I do think that a big part of the reason why we don't care about things is because it's scary to care. Because if you care, then you have to do something about it. And then the whole spiral comes in of, well, but if I just do this, that's not going to make a difference. Like my Mm -hmm. one vote doesn't matter. My one recycling doesn't matter. Like I can't make big enough change for it to even make a difference. So why even try? So now that I've seen the sixth, seventh, thirtieth shooting, I don't care because I can't do anything about it and it doesn't matter. And yeah, but it's like, you don't know if you're going to be able to breathe tomorrow, but are you going to stop breathing today? Because you don't know for a fact if you're going to stop breathing tomorrow or not. Mm. Yes. You know what I mean? It's just like all that stuff. I I I get I get that and I I I felt it too. I get it, you know. It exactly as you're saying it, Shana, like it is a huge responsibility once you wake up to the fact that you actually care about what's happening because it is so overwhelming and it is so much and and it's not for everybody. You know, it's really not for everybody. I think everybody should, but I'm not here to should all over people. I think mm-hmm. that for some people it's when you're ready you'll you'll come to that place at, at the right time but it is important to to have to feel compelled to care you know we we don't know a lot yet we still I mean you everybody people that have career jobs like you have a career job for the security it's like let's, let's talk about 2020. How secure were you then? You know, all all of this stuff, it, there is no certainty. The world is an uncertain place. That is the only certain thing that you can know that it will be uncertain for the rest of your life. Life will throw you curveballs because that's what life does. And if we don't get into navigating the playing field, we're going to have a really hard time you know, and it's like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? It's like I love that little like um, voice quote that was trending uh, with Rihanna being like, she goes, "What do you do when you don't feel like you're not feeling beautiful or you're not feeling like your best self?" And she goes, "Pretend." <laughs> and and then she goes, "Oh, okay, like that's all you do." She's like, "Yeah, it's either that or cry myself to sleep. And who wants to do that? It's like, it's the truth, you know? Sometimes it's okay to cry yourself to sleep to get those emotions out, but there's gotta be a point where you, you're gonna have to get up and do something eventually. There's gonna be a point where you have to kind of just go for it in life and say, okay, this is what I really feel. And this is what I really want to do. This is what I, where I want to go. Yeah. And, And not everybody needs to be a martyr, you know, not everybody needs to be Joan of Arc. Not everybody needs to be. I mean, this is my favorite thing. I know I might make uh, some people angry, so totally fine. Feel free to cut this out. But my the funniest <laughs> thing that I always I always laugh at, it's like 
when people talk about their, you know, they've done like past life regressions and all these things, it's like everybody's always like a king or a queen, (laughs) or I was descended from royalty from the whatever lineage. And it's like, how, weren't, what if, why is nobody ever just like a farmer or, (laughs) yeah, I was like, uh, I was, you know, like a battered wife or I was, you know, like a, really terrible warrior, you know, I had deserted. Yeah, I deserted. I'm a deserter. That's who I am. I'm a deserter. And I betrayed my entire like battalion, you know, I, I think it's to me, I always find that I, I I love the sentiment of, oh, I, at some point during my past life, maybe I was royalty. Like that's great, you know, but I'm so into living this experience right now because I'm never going to live this experience ever again, ever, as far as we know, right? As far as our knowledge is like, who knows, maybe we're just living in this eternal loop and loop. we just keep coming back <laughs> as this person who, who knows. Have you guys ever watched The Egg? No. No, I was just, is that the same, the poem um, by Andy Weir? Is that the same thing? Yes. I just talked about this on the podcast. The last episode. <gasps> I, <laughs> crazy. I know. Crazy. Also, <laughs> you are crazy because I just watched Everything Everywhere All at Once last night. Have you seen that? No. Oh my gosh. It's everything you literally just said about how when you have an overwhelm of feeling everything all the time, how then you develop apathy and like you literally don't care about anything because nothing matters. And mm. it's, you have to watch it. It's mind Okay, I'm going to watch it. It's also like a Kung Fu comedy movie, which is oh my God, amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I it's love great. it. <laughs> so good. This is amazing. Oh my God. But that's crazy. That is so great. So yeah. yes, I, I do. I agree with like that sentiment of like, we're all each other and, you know, we're all different iterations. And I think that's part of the reason why everyone's like, I was an Egyptian, you know, queen. Yes. Because yeah. like, yeah, everybody was. And like, I, you know, all of those things, but I would, will yeah, but say we were that also I've, like the shitty people in history, yeah, which I'm not going to name, absolutely. Yeah. you know what I'm saying? For sure. And in my past life regressions, like I had some basic lives and, yeah, and I was really, were a farmer. Um, you were yeah. a farmer. <laughs> you were yeah. oh a bean farmer, bean yeah, farmer. Yeah. <laughs> super random and specific, but I think it's like, there's so much meaning to be found in, in everything. And there's also so much nothing to be found in everything. Right. It's like both like that sentiment of like, yeah, we're living in hell, but we're also living in heaven. Like your beliefs, your environment shape your beliefs and like those beliefs, whatever you're choosing to see or believe in, that's what you're going to see. And so it's like, what are your beliefs and like what is serving you? What is actually going to help you? And I think at the root of like all growth and transition and bettering your life is always going to be love. And so I know that we've like, we're coming close to time, which I could talk to you for a million years. Um, Me too. Probably have in another different <laughs> loop of this reality. <laughs> but, um, but oh my God. are there any like, I know that you talk about some steps that you can do to living a radically loved life. And I'm sure that that could be hours and hours and hours. But are there any like tips or sentiments or anything that come to mind that you would want to share? Yeah, you know, there's a, a a simple way to incorporating radical love into your life. I, I always like to say there's, I, I like to say there's three when pe- just to less overwhelm. It's like, I think the three main keys are awareness, acceptance, and perspective, right? So being able to be aware of where you are without judgment, just the awareness of where you are in your life. And this could be a day, to me, it's a daily practice. I I think about it every day. Okay. Aware. Shana, what you were saying earlier about checking in or asking with, you know, going into that internal love for the self, just doing a check-in. How, how do I feel today? How am I today? 
and just having the awareness. Oh, okay. I woke up. I'm a little crabby today. So I'm aware. Then the second step would be the acceptance. When I can accept where I am, it creates a level of, it equals the playing field because I've accepted the fact that, okay, I woke up, I have a little anxiety this morning. I'm going to accept the fact that I feel this way and that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to try and perpetuate it. I'm not going to try and dive in to see what is going on so that I can remind myself and then I start the loop over again and then it's just going to carry throughout the day. No, I am going to accept it. And for me, sometimes it takes saying, "I, dear anxiety, I accept you today. I accept that you're here. I'm going to allow you to be here. And, and that's as far as you're going to go. Right? It's like, I accept that you're here. I'm aware of you. I accept you. And I carry on with my day. The third is the perspective. It's like, it's a little bit of the Byron Katie, like, who are you without that belief? Right? How do you turn it around? But what's the opposite of anxiety? Well, for me, the opposite of anxiety today is I want to just be excited about something, just anything. So, excitement and Anxiety are essentially physiologically very similar, right? So what I can do is I change my perspective. Oh, okay. What can I be really excited about today? Well, I know that I have chocolate vegan cupcakes in my fridge (laughs) and I'm really excited about when I'm going to eat those. And I'm definitely not going to wait for dinner because I'm probably going to have to eat one before then. (laughs) So I'm... Uh, and uh, apologies for the example, but I am a food motivated individual. So for me, this is like, okay, I think about excitement, excitement. Ooh, I have the last couple episodes of Stranger Things. I'm excited about watching that. It's going to be good. I'm excited, you know, or the new show that you just mentioned, like, Mm. I'm going to put that in my (laughs) queue. I'm excited about that, you know? So I try to, even just in that bit, those three things that I just said have now taken my attention and awareness away from the anxiety that I was feeling. I've just changed my perspective and I've created a new neurological pathway for me to connect with a different part of myself. And so once I'm there, being aware, accepting perspective, it puts me in a prime position to connect with radical love to that. Now, when I walk outside, I'm going to be more present to the birds and the dogs outside or playing with, yeah, just being able to spend time with my loved ones. Do you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love those steps. There's, I could not agree more. Like each one you hit, I was like, yes, I feel that to the core of my body. It's such truth. And I love that acceptance came before the shift in perspective, because I think that that is something that people really, once we're in this self-improvement realm, right? We're like wanting to improve ourselves and grow into the best version of ourselves. Sometimes we can try to change our perspective or change ourselves in some way without that acceptance piece. And then we wonder why we're hitting a wall. We wonder why it's not really working. But when we come with first, okay, let me really see everything that's here. Even that step can be so scary for people. They don't want to really know how they're really feeling. They don't want to really look at the things that are in their life. But when you start with that, and then you come to that acceptance, like that acceptance is such a beautiful form of self-love. And once you have that, it's like you've neutralized this energy and then you can actually make the change. So I love hearing that those that order of those steps. I think that that's so beautiful and important and such a great like mantra. You know, it's so like these three things, if you could check in with those three powerful things every day. Yes. It's like game changer. Yeah, it's total game changer. That is officially a part of my daily practice now. I'm like, I'm such a routines uh, <laughs> Me <ritual> too. girl. <laughs> Me too. I, Same. Yeah. yeah. For me, and if it's not, it's, if it's not a simple thing, like it's going to be really difficult for me to do it. If I'm honest, you know, Mm -hmm. I just need straight to the point, easy. I can do this. I can be aware. I can accept, I can change the perspective. 
that's my that's my self-love practice for the day. It's amazing. And we were loving when you said, I'm a very food-motivated person and I'm all into my food because for us in human design, knowing that you're a generator, we tell generators this all the time, like use your food as a life meditation on presence and honoring yourself because for generators, food is huge. Food is, you know, yes. you are this person that generates this life force energy. Food is, you know, consuming this life force energy. Your relationship to it being in presence and flow and having like that excitement and love, like all of the things, honoring your truth, you are literally digesting the energy of honoring your truth. You are digesting the energy of enjoying life. You are digesting the energy of listening to yourself when it comes to food. So we are literally always telling generators like, this is like the biggest life hack ever is like be intentional with your food, allow it to be a part of your presence and your daily self-love. And all. so you are just a role model, which in human design, we call you the role model. Literally six twos yes. are the role model. So, so I'm just so grateful for people to get to listen to you. And, you know, I also have to say, I'm just so grateful the way that you share your story with such vulnerability and also depth and really helping people see through the lens of what you've experienced in your life and your upbringing, this conversation is just so important for all of us to really realize, you know, the different layers of our conditioning and the way that our story Mm -hmm. shapes that reality. And it's just really beautiful and inspiring when you hear someone talk about their story. And I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast are wanting to create their own thing, or maybe they want to create their own podcast someday, but they wonder is it actually important for me to tell my story? Like, does it actually matter? Do people need to hear it? And when you hear, when we hear you tell your story, it just reminds me, like I have this feeling in my head of like, this is why we need to tell our story. It's so powerful. It's so moving. Like it connects us deeper to caring for one another, understanding one another. And, And that's, you know, the core, like you're saying, that's the opposite of this apathy, this thing that we need to heal in our in our world is understanding each other, knowing each other, caring about each other, wanting to be involved, wanting to extend our love that we have for ourselves to others. So, so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing it in the way that you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you both so much. I mean, you, you're both just such, like I said, such a joy to be around and I learned so much and I'm just, I'm grateful for you both, the work that you do. And I think it's just beautiful. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, excited and and humbled and grateful. Awesome. Thank Mm. you so much. So for all of our our listeners, what are your offerings that you have going on right now? What are you most excited about? And where can people connect with those things and find you? Well, you can just go to radicallylove.com. All of my things are there, but I'm really nerve-sighted. I'm just, I have to say nerve-sighted because I'm doing my first retreat since pre-pandemic this year. I'm going to Spain this November and it's going to be great. I'm taking a small group of people and I'm excited to to dive deep into the teachings of You're Radically Loved. So the book is going to be the basis for the retreat. And I'm nerve-sighted because, you know, it's, it's, it's been two, it's been a little over two years, you know, and I'm just like, oh, is this... You know, like I'm, I'm just more concerned that people really enjoy themselves and, and really get what they want out of this experience. But I love human to human interactions. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to be with my students and to see people. And yeah, there's tons of offerings on my website. Obviously the podcast, the book, everything is, is there. So you just go to radicallyloved.com. Okay. Amazing. I, we feel you, by the way, we just had our retreat in Costa Rica in January. <gasps> you d- How was it? It was, um, it was the best experience of our lives, but it was in the height of Omicron and oh. <laughs> like coming after the holidays and you know, the stress, the nerve sighted, like we were, that's exactly yes. it. We were so excited, but also like, well, what if people get COVID. And then what if there's like so much liability and there's just so much like traveling there and all the things, right? But honestly, it went so incredibly, we could, it couldn't have gone better. Oh, I bet it was perfect. Yeah. We had 35 women and it was amazing. So I'm so excited for you. I'm like, want to be there in Spain. Ah, I want to come to Spain. Absolutely. I'd love to have you both. So beautiful. Come one, come all. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm so I'm, 
Yeah, same. I'm nervous because of all of those things. You know, I, I canceled so many events. I canceled so many. I used to do four retreats a year, international retreats. And so this will be not only the first retreat, but it's also going to be an international retreat. So I'm just like, okay. And I'm not, and I'm typically I'll go to like Bali, I'll go to Italy, I'll go to Mexico, you know, just kind of the, the, the places I've done for many, many years, but I've not been to the South of Spain and I've always wanted to go. And I, I like the, the people I partnered with. So I, I think it's going to be really great. There's going to be some fun things to do and it will be an immersive experience. So I'm excited. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Well, everyone can go to your website, radicallylove.com. And thank you so much for existing um, and sharing your wisdom with us because we just love you. Oh my God. I love you both too. Thank you. Wow. We absolutely love that conversation with Rosie. Afterwards, we stayed on for about 15 minutes just celebrating. And today that we recorded is her birthday, which felt just extra special. So you are getting that extra juicy, vibrant birthday solar return energy from her. So you know, as always, where to connect with us on our website, daylunalife.com and on our Instagram at dayluna. And we hope that you have a beautiful radically loved rest of your day.